welcome to another episode of Beauty Island. I am your host, beauty journalist Brittany Stewart. Now, you might have already noticed by the title that today's episode is not as it normally is. Usually in the main episode of Beauty Island, I feature an interview with an interesting figure, in beauty or not, about their life, career, and the eight beauty products that have a special memory or meaning for them. But today, we're doing something a little different something I've been wanting to do since I started Beauty Island over a year ago. If you're a long-time listener of the podcast, thank you. Or even if you've only listened to a few episodes, you, like me, might have noticed a pattern emerging in the products that my guests choose. Despite how personal and individual the choice is and stories that we hear, it's not uncommon for the same products to pop up on different people's lists, particularly when we're talking about the products that really shape their introduction and perception of beauty. You know, the ones that they bought as teenagers or the ones they grew up looking at on their mum's dressing room table. In the beauty world that exists now, we are absolutely spoilt for choice. There are millions of products to choose from, thousands in just say the foundation category alone. And while there have always been options, rewind 30, 40, 50 or more years ago, and it just wasn't the same landscape. So what does that mean? With fewer products and brands to choose from, put simply, people are more likely to have bought and used the same products, because there just wasn't the shelves and shelves to pick from. Even more so than range, it, it just comes down to accessibility. And then there are just some that are pioneers or category leaders, which makes them more of a natural choice. And that's particularly true when it comes to the leading products of certain times, like Oil of Yule or Pond's Cold Cream, the original makeup remover before micellar water, oil cleansers, makeup wipes, reusable wipes, and the like. But regardless of what decade we're talking about, the thing that stands out to me most from this is connection. The connection that people have to these products, and then the connections created between all of those people that have used it. The instant bond bringing together beauty lovers who share memories of how they use or when they used a particular beauty product. The acknowledging smile, the exciting memory jog, the eagerness to share your story and the connection and warmth you feel as a result. And of course, the even greater thing is that while all connected, each person has a completely different memory or sentiment attached to that product, but have the same fond nostalgia. And it's a generational thing too. The leading product of the time different depending on when you're in your teens or coming into your 20s. It's definitely a trend I've noticed among my beauty island guests who range in age and job and backgrounds that unite them. So that's the basis for today's podcast and hopefully a continuing bonus format of Beauty Island Podcast, a slightly shorter episode that dives into the beauty history and cultural significance of some of the iconic and cult products that keep coming up on the podcast. Consider this a pilot episode. So I really want to hear your thoughts once you've listened. Message me on Instagram at Beauty Island Podcast. Email me, beautyislandpodcast at gmail.com or share the episode on your Instagram story or feed so I can see who is enjoying it. Now we know what's happening. Let's dive in. For this first Beauty Spot episode, we're talking about a lip product that dominated Beauty Island's first season, Clinique's Almost Lipstick in Black Honey. A sheer lip product that straddled gloss and lipstick well before it became a category in its own right, it was for many people an entry point into the world of makeup and grown-ups, first appearing on shelves in 1989. You may recall previous guests, interestingly all beauty and fashion editors, Kelly Baker, Stephanie Darling and Glynis Trail Nash, share their memories of it. 
And if you haven't or forgotten, don't worry. That is the point of this episode. We will revisit what they said. First, a little context about Clinique as a brand. It's become a mainstay skincare and colour cosmetics brand, a reliable and effective go-to. But even I was surprised by how little I knew about the brand's origins. According to a piece in The Guardian written by Anna Chester, Clinique actually came about in 1968 thanks to an article in US Vogue. It seems quite crazy to think of a time when we weren't constantly seeking endless ways and products to perfect our skin, but that was the case when US Vogue's beauty editor, Carol Phillips, asked the question that would birth one of the most successful skincare brands. The question? Can great skin be created? Described as a maverick in the New York magazine circles, she passionately believed the industry could do better than the traditional one-size-fits-all creams that filled the counters of the department stores. She came across New York dermatologist Dr. Norman Orentreich, who was prescribing his patients something basic today but almost unheard of back then, a three-step skincare regime of cleansing, exfoliating and moisturising. Twice a day, with products selected for your skin type, and you would notice a difference, he promised. And so, in the August 15, 1967 issue of US Vogue, under the headline, Can Great Skin Be Created?, Dr. Orentreich answered a whole host of skincare questions from Philips, including, interestingly, is there any relationship between sexual activity and skin? His response, I have treated many nuns, and their skin is no better or no worse than married women's. So there you have it. There's conflicting information about whether it was Evelyn Lauder, daughter-in-law of Estee Lauder, who brought the article to her attention, or her husband and son of Estee Lauder, and chief executive officer of the company at the time, Leonard. Either way, this concept was seen as a way to grow the company, which at that time just consisted mainly of the Estee Lauder line, and turn the company into a multi-brand organisation. The idea of the skincare regime spoke to a younger customer who wanted results faster. Estee Lauder and Philips were introduced and reportedly got on like a house on fire before she and the dermatologist were approached to see if they'd be interested in bringing the brand to life. Leonard was in Paris when he recalled receiving a cablegram with three words. Carol said yes. Just 12 months later, Clinique premiered at Saks Fifth Avenue as the world's first allergy-tested, dermatologist-driven line. Evelyn Lauder, Leonard's wife and a beauty pioneer in her own right, is the brains behind the name Clinique. During a visit to Paris, she kept noticing signs for Clinique Esthétique, where women would go for facials and treatments. It had connotations of a fresh clinical approach to skincare, plus a dash of French glamour. It was a winner and the signature pale green was chosen for its soothing appeal. Clinique launched the range of almost lipsticks in 1989 as a new type of lip colour. Black Honey was one of the lineup, but as a shade had actually been part of Clinique's range since 1971, according to Sally Hughes' fantastic book, which I cannot recommend highly enough, Pretty Iconic. The original launch included six shades, and was designed to be the best of both worlds, sitting between a lipstick and a gloss. In a slender lipstick case, Black Honey quickly gained cult status as a shade that looked good on almost everyone, regardless of race, hair or skin tone. Then every beauty lover's worst nightmare happened. Almost lipsticks were withdrawn and discontinued. 
They were then relaunched in 2000, based around the hero shade Black Honey, with new shades like Lovely Honey and Flirty Honey. Alas, at this point, hybrid lip products were much more prevalent, and so the range didn't take off. But Black Honey endures, a shade you can still purchase today. It also has a whole host of awards to its name, including the Allure Best of Beauty Awards in 1998, 2000 and 2001, and took out Reader's Choice in 2003. In a great piece for the now-defunct website Racked, which I will link in the show notes, Amanda Mull wrote a tribute to the cult lip product. Recalling its long, thin metal tube like an elegant little wand that could be slipped into a small purse or pocket, this shape, of course, gives you greater control and application, And while it looks almost goth black in the tube, it goes on not as a saturated colour, but a berry plum tint that results in a universally flattering your lips but slightly better colour. Mal wrote about the first time her best friend wore the shade. She recalled, I bought it along with an evening gown at 14 to go to prom with my older boyfriend. It was the first time in my life that I felt like hot shit. For many women, Kalink's Black Honey Almost Lipstick was their first lipstick, the entry into the world of grown-ups. Like one of my first guests on Beauty Island, former beauty and health director of the Australian Women's Weekly and founder of the Beauty Insider, Kelly Baker, who remembers using it with a pot and brush. It's a lip product. When I, I think you can only get it now, if you can get it at all, in a, a lipstick um, tube. You used to be able to get it in like a little tiny pot, a bit like a gloss, and it came with this little baby brush. So I, again, really fancied myself with that and thought I was terribly grown up. I I can't remember what job it was, but I remember being at David Jones and talking to the Clinique woman and saying, I've got, you know, three seconds of time a day before I go to work, but I need to look like I've done something. So she was saying, okay, you know, you have this little pot, you can just pop it on with this little brush. And I think there was also, I also bought an eyeshadow that was probably a very neutral sort of shade of caramel, you know, chocolate brown, and just swept that across my eyes and mascara and that that, uh, little bit of pot of gloss. And it just, I've I've always, I remember seeing um, Justine Cullen, I remember her mentioning it once as well. It was obviously... A, a sort of cult product at the time. Yeah. I don't know if you can get it anymore. They certainly brought it back in a lipstick at some point and maybe they'll bring it back again. You know, it could be one of those ones that just pops up. But yeah, Black Honey, it was, it was pretty, but it was quite natural. A little bit of colour, not a huge amount. So, and because it came in a little pot, you could open the lid and impress people on the train and be like, look at me, <laughs> my little lipstick pot. I really did go for that whole lipstick brush thing for a while there. I thought that was pretty fancy. fashion editor of The Australian, Glynis Trell-Nash, Black Honey was the defining product of her teens spent in Perth and early 20s. The amount of people I've heard subsequently that were obsessed with it in their 20s, it's quite funny. I remember feeling very polished. I remember like when I would have sort of jobs and things to go to or whatever, I would wear a Clinique, I think it was like Urban Defence sunscreen like a tinted sunscreen so it's just like just enough coverage and um, a great pair of sunglasses and this black honey lipstick and I just felt perfectly polished and like I was terribly grown up (laughs) and and get in my little dodgy car and go to whatever appointment I had to go to and yeah it was this really defining beauty product of that point because it just it was kind of sheer and a little bit dark but polished. Do you still have one or would you ever wear it now? 
do you know what? They they discontinued it at a certain point, and then I discovered some many years later that they had relaunched it, and I got one, and it just didn't have the same appeal. I didn't feel that. <gasps> And I think because I had, I never wear sheer lipstick anymore. I'm, I'm a, I'm an absolute, which I'm sure we'll talk about, lipstick girl. But yeah, just the love affair was over. It was quite sad actually. <laughs> Stephanie Darling is the author of Beauty Bible: Secrets of a Beauty Queen, beauty director at Fairfax with a weekly column in Sunday Life, and was the beauty director at Vogue Australia for over a decade. She knows all too well that dreaded feeling of a product you love being discontinued. So your first product is one from Clinique, the Almost Black Honey Lipstick. Yes, that is such a genius product. I think at one point they took it off the market. You know how brands often do that? The best products disappear and everyone cries out in horror. Um, but they brought it back and it's, it's one of those no mirror makeup products. You can put it on the car obviously not looking in your revision mirror, totally <laughs> successfully. It gives the most beautiful blush of, it's like a lipstick gloss, but it, there's nothing like it on the market. And when did you first start using it, or is it the one that you've, you've used for a while? Um, I think probably even prior to being in beauty, if that's possible. <laughs> my memory is fazy, but, but I just love it. It's my go-to. It's always in my little, you know, the kit that I carry in my handbag. So there you have it, an iconic, some might say trailblazing lip product that has a firm place in the hearts of many. And yes, Clinique's Almost Lipstick in Black Honey is still available today. The current description reads, transparent pigment merges with the unique natural tone of your lips to create something wonderful and yours alone. Sheer, glossy, emollient rich and very lightweight. It retails for about $40 and is available from Maya, David Jones, Selfridges and Sephora overseas. Thank you so much for listening to this semi-pilot new bonus episode of Beauty Island, Beauty Spot. I hope, I really hope you enjoyed learning a bit more about the beauty products my guests speak of on Beauty Island. And if you do have your own memories or stories about Clinique's Black Honey, I would love to hear them. You can find me on Instagram at Beauty Island Podcast. Send me an email, beautyislandpodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear your stories. And if you did like listening to this episode, as I said at the beginning, please let me know and I can do more of them. And if you're not already, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow on Spotify rate five stars and if you can spare a few seconds please write a review of the podcast saying why you like listening to it i really really appreciate all your support thank you so much and until next time bye bye